Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam and Nick, and we're going to talk about the Sontaran Experiment, a 1975 Doctor Who episode for the fourth Doctor. Um, this is, uh, you know, uh, early into uh, Tom Baker's run, and we've been kind of going through them. Uh, we, I think we're now back to going chronologically, is that correct? Or, or uh, do after we have... this one, we After will this be. one, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. So then... You know, we'll just, I guess, kind of work our way through slowly through the, the different Tom Baker episodes. Uh, and uh, and so, yeah, so uh, what, what are you guys' thoughts on this episode? Uh, I I really like the uh, the setting in this episode a lot. It has a great atmosphere. That's, you know, that's, that's the thing I always think of with this episode. It's like filming it on the moor works so well because... You know, it's set after Earth has kind of all been burned by these solar flares and it's just started to grow back. And there's just something about the kind of growth you have on that moor where like it feels like the rocky outcropping. It feels like greenery is just sort of starting to blossom again on this planet again. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I don't know. My favorite thing about the episode is just the look of it, the scenery. Yeah, I, I have to say that Adam's right on with that one. This is this has a lot of flavor for a short two-part story mm-hmm. that I, I, when you watch it, I think almost feels like a full four-part story. Uh, there's a lot that goes on in a very short period of time here, and it's got a great feel when you first land, like when the TARDIS team first lands there. You're not entirely sure what's going on, and all of a sudden you have like robots stalking them and all this other stuff going on. It, it, it gets pretty interesting really fast. Um, you know, in a sense, how how the Empire Strikes Back pulls off its like Imperial probe droid, and how the Doctor Who team here pulls off the Santarin, yeah, you want to call it probe droid, is entirely <laughs> the same, other than like st- you know Empire Strikes Back had better design work by that time. You know? <laughs> um, but a great story, and, and I mean, it's not a secret that the Santarins are in the Santarin experiment, and they're my favorite bad guys. Uh, and there's a lot that happens. We learn a lot about the Santarans in this story. So, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it was a, a fun episode. There were there were. Uh, I I think I, I I basically agree with Adam about the the location. I think that also made you feel a little bit trapped too, which was maybe how you were supposed to feel watching it because, you know, they are yeah. they are sort of trapped in that situation and in that place. Um, and I was really enjoying Tom Baker's performance this episode. Something about the way. Uh, that he was dealing with the threat really, I don't know, I found it very enjoyable. And I like the, I, I like the setup of, you know, I, well, I like the cruelty of the Centauran conducting all these experiments on, on the people. Um, yeah. And, and that it's being done because they, they want to launch an invasion and they, they basically need to figure some things out, it seems, about humanity before they can uh, successfully launch it. And so I thought that was a, you know, it's a cool little setup. It's, it's like you said, it's only two episodes, but it feels a little bit more. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it felt, it felt like a very complete story to me. So I, I, was, I think, it, I think they didn't need to do another third or a fourth episode on this one. The two was sufficient. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I have to say it makes sense too, with the Santarans. I think later in, in Dr. Who lore, Santarans are thought of as being all like infantry guys and military in the sense that they all want to be in war. But this guy's mm-hmm. clearly like a military intelligence officer 
who's gathering as much intelligence as he can about the threat before an invasion is approved. And I think a lot of people forget that there's a lot of elements to the military. You know, there's always that joke about there's no such thing as military intelligence. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there's something to be said about learning about your enemy, right? So, Yeah, that's what I like about this episode. It's a real cliche in science fiction to have, you know, the, the militaristic aliens be the real gung-ho. We want to go into a fight. You know, we don't think, where's the Sontarans? It's like, as soon as as soon as soon their strategy is somewhat compromised, if they don't have everything perfect, it's like, well, we're just, we're just not going to have this war. Call the <laughs> war off. We're done. You know, it's like they, they you know, they're just planners. If their plan isn't going to be perfect, they're not, they're not going to risk the attack. Uh-huh. So, well, and, and I think it's notable too to mention that the Santarans were first introduced in the season just before this. Mm-hmm. So they were introduced in the story the 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 time. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting it right now. Um, the Time Warrior, and so they reused the costume and the Santaran spaceship for this story. So in a sense, they kind of figured out a way to tell a story using last years props right but in a very new and very cool way i thought that was like considering that they were trying to do this on the cheap it sure didn't feel like that to me i have to say that the makeup in this i quite liked and and in fact if if i Mm -hmm. i i I almost wish we had seen the other episode now that you're mentioning that because i think i because i had i was one of the one things i was wondering about is where they first appeared and if this was the first time we see them or if there was another episode and it might have been interesting to to um to compare them but I found the makeup in this one, uh, you know, I'm 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 more accustomed to the new the new Who uh, Santarans, and those look cool. This one looks like it's obviously you know uh, sort of old special effects, but it has a much more creepy result. Do you know what I mean? Like I I felt yeah. way more creeped out by this guy than I than I felt about more recent Santarans. Um, They've gotten a little cutesy with the Sontarans yeah. on the new show, where it's like there's nothing, there's nothing particularly scary about the Sontarans on recent appearances. It's, uh, and, but yeah, they and there, are, there they was are. that dash of likability with this guy, but he just was also creepy, and I think the makeup was a big part of it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, and, and I think there's there's some really great horror and ethics in this story, right? So the mm-hmm. Sontaran is a forward force trying to find out what humanity's weaknesses are before they can launch an invasion. And he finds this group of survivors who've survived and returned to Earth and basically starts putting them through all these torturous tests. And there's this great scene where, you know, the Santaran has these guys hold this gravity bar over one of their Mm. fellow crew members. And it's a crew member who sold them out, right, to the Santaran. And, you know, he's like, can you hold this up? What if it weighs 200 pounds? What if it weighs 400 <laughs> pounds, right? And, and these guys, just because, like, their friend is a human being, even though he's the one that put them in the, this predicament, are trying their best to save his life, right? Like, they're literally yeah. on the edge of their strength. I think that's a great moral story and question to take out of a very simple Doctor Who story that it doesn't necessarily deal with the doctor directly, but here's these human beings doing what I would consider the right thing for the right reasons. And I think that's a very strong scene. I I love that scene for different reasons, but I love that scene. Uh, Uh, Oh yeah. 
But, uh, oh, it's your reason for loving that scene. I love, I love the cruelty of the Centauran that he's, but that he's so <laughs> focused and methodical. Well, I'm just increasing, and I love the the idea of using a gravity bar uh-huh. in that way. That is, that was, <laughs> that was, that really got me uh, interested in in the uh, in the Centauran and his experiments and just sort of the mindset that that was operating there, um, and how he clearly just sort of saw the humans as, um, you know, as, as I mean, the way that we would view lab rats, uh, you know, it was, it was, he really had no, but, but what I also liked was he was, he was engaging in, in banter with them. He was talking with them, but, uh-huh. but in this, in the next, in the next moment, he could easily just, you know, flick a switch and, and kill them. It was, it was, uh, you know, it was yeah. a very interesting character. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I like the, uh, kind of world building that's going on too, between this episode and the, uh, the, the previous one, the arc in space, which, uh, you know, basically just the, the sense that, you know, they already brought up in the previous episode that, you know, this, this, you know, space station had been, you know, uh, in suspended animation for much longer than they intended that these other ships had gone out and it's like, they don't even believe this one exists. It's become this legend and, and, you know, the way these people kind of resent the people that were off in suspended animation the whole time while they were rebuilding, you know, humanity. And, uh, yeah, it's just it, it's it's not something you see that much in the old episodes where this there's this kind of sense of continuity going on. Right. But uh, uh, almost almost like there's a season story arc happening, mm-hmm. you know, before they ever did the key to time series and, you know, where it all kind of fits together. And I think that's a, a strength of this entire season, I guess. So, yeah. Well, and I, I like, I just like the look of this. I like, I already brought up the scenery, but I like, I like the, the costuming and everything too. It just has this great seventies science fiction feel, the kind of spacesuits those guys are wearing and everything. One thing I noticed was that they have these logos on their spacesuits, and they're clearly just like, drawn on with sharpie markers <laughs> I, I remember that. when i was a kid right like i looked at that and for some reason that logo made sense to me when i was younger and like i, I you know i remember i actually like drew the logo so that i could use it like <laughs> for other stuff and wow. it, it's, a, it's a very minor thing but there's enough detail in the production design here yeah you know, just realizing that spacesuits would have logos and you know little things like that that i think really make this work so Mm-hmm. Well, and I like how the the continuity. What I like about it is it's the, it's a locational type of continuity. So even today, when you get some of the story arc continuity, you often don't know where the characters were five minutes ago when the episode starts. There might be a, sometimes you do, but but more often the continuity is about the overarching thing, and 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 they'll have these elapses of time between episodes. And I like that this was literally last episode. They were they were they they had just walked you know, to where they are now. Like, you know how they got there and where they were five minutes ago. And that seems to be kind of a recurring thing in this, uh, at least in this, this season. Um, but we've been watching it out of yeah. order. So maybe I'm, I'm getting things. No, it, it literally, they beam down at the end of, uh, at the end of arc in space and they appear there. And when they, when they beam out, you know, at the end, that's when they get intercepted by the time Lords and get sent off to Skaros. It's everything everything feeds right into into the next part but i'm really yeah. liking that i'm liking that i can sort of trace where they were yeah. from each step to the next mm-hmm. even if even if it doesn't all come together in some big thing just the fact that i can kind of see it 
and it doesn't feel sort of like, well, we now need them to be over here, so they're over here, and uh, it's all kind of connected. I need to ask yeah. you, Brendan, just because you've really been enjoying the ruthlessness of the Santaran, <laughs> if you like the sequence where the Santaran puts that like hallucinogenic device on Sarah Jane to try to like see how she reacts to like the mud creeping up her like I, legs and stuff like that. I I I, li- I liked it, but the other the thing. I think the bar worked for me more. And the reason why is the bar was like a real thing I could sort of tangibly understand. Mm. And the thing that he was doing with Sarah Jane felt almost more psychological. And so it was harder for me to sort of appreciate what she was going through, if that makes sense. Sure. And what the other, yeah. but I, but I did like, I, I, I liked, I, I thought that was interesting. And I, and I think what was the line, the, uh, was was it spiders that he was trying to make? He was there was, a, was snakes. I think was it snakes? You know, yeah. there, there's something about the line where he mentioned that. I you know I I remember enjoying, but um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think um, uh, well we were in the the last episode that we saw, not 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 the last one chronologically, but the last one that we actually saw. Um, I think we all agreed it was a pretty strong uh, Sarah Jane episode, and. Yeah. And this one, I think, I think she was, uh, she was strong as well on this one, but she did spend a lot of time sort of in the, in that, uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it. The, what, uh, but the, 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 you know, the, he had, he had her in some kind of prison force field, if I remember. Um, and so she spent a lot of time there, but I, I, I did like the, the opening of the episode too, with, um, it was, I don't know, to me, it almost seemed a little bit of planet of the apes for some reason, but the the opening where they're sort of uh, meeting the, the these humans that are there that they're not expecting to meet, and mm-hmm. uh, um, and 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 there's a lot of stuff that's really just kind of more dialogue driven than anything else, with the occasional threat of of you know like you said the sentinel and the and the the weird little pit trap that people keep falling into. Um, <laughs> But, there's uh, yeah. uh oh go ahead i'm sorry oh, oh I, I, yeah I was, I was i was going to say that uh what i think is one of the things that's interesting about um the stories that are kind of happening here so we have la- the season before this one there's a santaran story this is a santaran story the fourth doctor gets another santaran story which we'll eventually get to between those there's a story where we eventually learn that the santarans have a race that they're at like this really long war with called the Rutans. Mm. And they don't get mentioned here, which is interesting. I don't believe the Rutans are mentioned in this story. Have, have they come but up later with who it, at all? Or are they, are they like a non... They, they haven't really come up lately. There's only been one story that's ever showed a Rutan, and it's in the classic series and not in the... And, and the Rutans are a shape-changing race, which is interesting. So the Santarans are a cloning race, and the Rutans are shape changers, so I've always wanted to see a story, and I just bring this up because I've always wanted to see a story in which Santarans are in it and Rutans are in it, because of how interesting it would be for this cloned race where there's, you know, hundreds of these guys, and one of them is not, you know, like a Santaran, right? So how do you find in a cloned race the one of you that's not cloned, right? Okay. And so I'm always waiting for Doctor Who to like take a step in that direction. And, and again, that's not mentioned in this story, but I, I bring it up because I, I, when Doctor Who eventually gets around to that, I think it's such a great idea because what would be 
the kind of species that would be able to take on this cloned race that can clone, you know, millions in four minutes or whatever the doctor says, you know. Um, but shapeshifters would really be a problem for him, I think. So doesn't get mentioned in this story, and it's interesting that they're trying to find out so much about humans, um, mainly because the previous story, the Time Warrior, took place during the Middle Ages, which means the Santarans have been in the neighborhood of Earth for thousands of years, which is kind of interesting. Okay, so. okay, that's yeah, that is, and this is and this is quite some time beyond the uh, that period. Mm-hmm. This is obviously set in Earth's future. Right. Um, and, and the New Who episodes that feature the Santarans would be Earth contemporary to us now, mm-hmm. which means we know that there were Santarans in the, you know, past in the Middle Ages. We know that there were Santarans in 2012 Earth or whatever it would be. And so maybe it's because of those defeats. <laughs> yeah, that's. I was just thinking you know, like, that as you were saying that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so the irony is that it's possible that because the Santarans were defeated, defeated in contemporary Earth and New Who, that they had to send a military, you know, expedition to figure out how to try to defeat these humans. So yeah, they they almost seem a bit cowardly in this one. They're so willing to like give. It's like oh, oh, there's there's a slight problem. We're going to give up the invasion, but it makes more sense in the context of oh, we tried this before and. <laughs> It really right? <laughs> let's let's just let's just let this go again. We're not going to put any more resources into this. <laughs> exactly, and and, uh, and sort of like Brendan was saying, one of the things, and I said that the Santarans are my favorite bad guys in Doctor Who. It's interesting to me because Star Trek has Klingons, right? So Klingons yeah. are this this strong warrior race that like devotes itself to the concept. In, in the case of of, of Star Trek to honor, right? And, and they're mm-hmm. kind of warlike. What I thought was interesting about the Santarans is that they're devoted to war, not necessarily honor, though in New Who, they kind of brought the honor idea into what the Santarans are. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I found them more interesting slightly when they were, like in this story, here's a race dedicated to war. Like, that's what they do. That's what they love to do. So Yeah, I agree. I, I kind of didn't like that little tweak they did when they brought them into the new series. I thought, well, we've seen that a lot of other places. You don't need to, you don't need to bring that into it. But, you know, it's fine. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I guess you could say, too, it is, it is hundreds, hundreds of years apart. Well, thousands of years apart for these races. So, you know, I guess the Santarans honor could go in and out of fashion. Right. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, because I hadn't. It hadn't even really occurred to me that the, you know this really is the Santarans in the future, and so everything that we've seen in New Who technically is, I guess, their past, right? So yeah, um, yeah, which is something that is easy to 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 not think of when you're watching Doctor Who because yeah, of, you know, I know. it's it's the and now now here's a question for you, Nick. How consistent do you feel the show has been with that sort of thing, with the timelines of the other monsters and stuff? How how yeah. how how consistent are they? You know, Doctor Who's actually pretty good with a lot of their races. They haven't strayed too far, but it's hard when, you know, we're all living in one timeline. Like, we're the real timeline, whatever, mm-hmm. however you want to say that, right? <laughs> and then you want to tell stories in different times and places. I don't know if every writer is is devoted to going and making sure that their 
timeline fits with the races that they see and that sort of thing. Hmm. And at a certain level, maybe they should, right? Because a good story is a good story. If you're doing it right, you're not reliant on another element. But for the most part, I think they, you know, as long as they can get the Santarans being tough and dedicated to warfare, I think you're on target, you know? And it's interesting to me just because of like who they cast in, in modern who that they had to make a joke about uh, Santarans being short, but like this Santaran, maybe they grew taller because this guy seems normal <laughs> size, you know. And like, okay, I don't oh, know is, is that why is that why they're short in the new Who? Is that the is that the reason that the actor that they that they chose? Yeah, ultimately, like the two or three main actors they chose were slightly smaller uh-huh. in build, but still like tough guys, you know, or whatever, or like at least the outfits yeah. make them that way. And I, I think they just turned like. I think the production team was afraid of people noticing that the Santarans were short, so they made it a thing. But it yeah. doesn't. That's one thing that seems in New Who not to fit with how we originally saw the Santarans. Well, see, because we know it was in the past. Now we know that you know in the New Who stuff, it's like they they got they got so so humiliated by their height being made fun of that they have to like modify their clone designs <laughs> from, right. uh, from that point on. Yep, extend those femurs. <laughs> <Why not? laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting though. You know, you're talk- going back to the honor thing again too. You know, they kind of introduced that honor concept in I think it was the Poison Sky episodes. But it was kind of funny because their whole plot then is, yeah, we're not going to fight you. We're just going to poison you through some devious <laughs> plot we have some kid on Earth do for us. So right. it was a weird thing to add that to them because it's like their behavior is totally in keeping with the way they act in the old show. It's just adding that honor thing. It doesn't it doesn't line up with their actions. But, right. Uh, eh. You know, uh, one, one thing about the Santaran experiment that I think is interesting is that um, – one of the reasons that they included um, Harry Sullivan as a companion for this season was because they didn't know how dynamic and tough the new actor, Tom Baker, was going to be in the role. So they wanted to make sure that there was a guy companion who, if somebody had to throw a punch or something, would be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that by the time we get to Santaran Experiment, which is the third story i think in the season but i think it was filmed second um tom baker is like as a doctor the fourth doctor is out, outright fights the santaran man yeah. and yeah. you know and, and actually encourages harry not to get into a fight knowing that harry's gonna get his ass yeah. I, I liked <laughs> i liked how he used his brain in that fight too though how he said he was mm-hmm. gonna tire out the santaran um and uh and and that was sort of the, what you know you know, it was a little hard to see if the if the action actually backed up that plan, but I think that was the idea is that he was tiring him out, and uh, and so I, yep. I, I like that aspect of it too. Um, but yeah, I did notice that. I did see that. This is pretty. Uh, you know, he's getting pretty right. uh, rough and tumble with the Suntar in there. Like like after they've uh-huh. built the Suntar up to be this you know thing that you don't necessarily want to uh, engage yeah. in that kind of a fight uh-huh. with. So. Here's, here's the impressive thing. Tom Baker like uh, broke his collarbone el- early in the uh, shooting of that episode. So he was oh, wearing, he? he had the scarf. He actually has a neck brace underneath his scarf. I'm surprised he was <laughs> able to move. I had a friend who broke his collarbone and he was bedridden yeah. for... Most, 
Most of that fight, except for the close-ups, are actually Terry Malloy, who was the stunt double for Tom Baker, mm. fighting. So if you rewatch the episode, and it's almost worth doing, <laughs> you can almost tell, like, okay, that's a dude in a wig. Okay, that's really Tom Baker. No, no. That's Terry Malloy in the wig. Like, okay. Was the stunt double because he was injured, or the stunt double was because they just yeah. did the stunt? Okay. Yeah. Because of the well, injury, yeah. Well, the stunt double did it because of the injury, but he was already the stunt double on the show. Because okay. some people fall down, like, pits or whatever and stuff. Mm. So he was already hired. He was there. But, like... Okay. That's interesting. But, yeah, it's... But, but that sequence, clearly, like Adam said, because Tom Baker had broken his collarbone. <laughs> like, but, yeah. Basically, the fact he was able to do that well with a broken collarbone, like you're saying, it's like, that was point where was, we don't need Harry Sullivan. This guy is, like, <laughs> grievously injured, and he's, he's doing fine. So once he, <laughs> once he heals up, we can get rid of Harry. But, and, uh... <laughs> and I have to say, I didn't notice the stunt doubles. So they, you know, either I'm not observant or they did a pretty good job, you know, shooting yeah, it. Yeah, they and, did uh... a good job with it. Yeah, some, yeah, sometimes you'll sometimes you'll see it's like oh, that's, you know, it's a very different looking person with a weird wig on when they're uh -huh. doing stunt double work in these things, and and I did I oh, definitely yeah. didn't see that. I, I want to go back to what you said, Brendan, because I think it's an amazingly great point about the how Doctor Who is put together, and that is I do love the fact that the Doctor got into a fight, a fight, <clears throat> excuse me, a fight with the intention of wearing out. The bad guy rather than beating the bad guy mm -hmm. um even though of course he had sabotaged his the the bad guy's way of like recharging his energy or whatever but like i, I think that's kind of an, a neat idea because if you think about it you know you can win you know like like premier league uk soccer games right you can win the league by tying every game if everybody else has more losses than you, right? Like, you know, so, you know, I, I, there's something to be said about that. Like, you don't always have to win to win, right? Like, well, it's you a, just need to not lose, right? Well, I so. think, I think um, in a lot of TV shows, there's an emphasis on hard power and just this need to, like, demolish the opponent and, and, and just conclusively win the battle. Uh, mm -hmm. and, 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 in, and in real life, I think there's there's more like you said there's there's more than one ways to win something uh, even even fighting even even fighting you know you like um, it kind of reminded me of the the Foreman Ali fight you know the the sort of sort of the, the you know where where uh, and again if you go back and you watch the fight it doesn't always match what uh, how we retell it and how it was told in the Will Smith movie and even how it's retold in some of the autobiographical accounts of it. Um, but the the general memory is, you know, Muhammad Ali tired him out, and 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 then used the rope a dope strategy to 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 knock him out. And I think um, I think that that that, that kind of reminded me of that of that, of that approach. And it was it was a very sort of you know smart 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 fighting approach. But like you're saying too, the the show itself, I I like the just in general. One of my attractions to the show is that the the doctor character occasionally he will sort of do the 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 rough and tumble stuff and, and we've seen a little bit more of that with the capaldi uh era in the in the final uh especially this final season uh, mm -hmm. but but i think one of the things that you know is that especially as an american viewer when you watch the show he's not a character who just whips out a gun to to resolve his problems and 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 oftentimes he's running away or distracting the enemy or talking to the enemy and he's got he's just got a very vast 
tool belt of things that he can sort of rely on for uh for 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 uh saving the day and i don't know that it just isn't i think as an american viewer that's one of the things that really stands out to me that makes it different than a lot of the programs that are out there i couldn't agree with you more i agree with that absolutely mm -hmm. But um, yeah. but yeah. So so. Oh, go ahead, Adam. I'm sorry. I was gonna cut you. I was off. saying, yeah. I can remember uh, with the uh, with the, the um, uh, getting my doctor number. Eleventh doctor. I remember when the uh, preview for him came up for his first season. You know, they had the part where he's firing the gun. You know, and it's him. It's really him shooting that little gravity generator thing. But it, everyone was like, oh, the doctor's <laughs> shooting a gun. You know, what's going on? Well, and got everyone I, really excited. When I first saw it, I was actually perplexed that he didn't have a gun to deal with these animals. That was one of the things that was, you know, confusing to me. Uh, I, was, I was like, well, how are you going to deal with aliens without a gun? Like, you know, it's clearly yeah. you need a gun for this situation or a blaster or something. Uh, and uh -huh. I liked the way that the show answered those those concerns that I had. Um, yeah. One, one of the things that I love about Doctor Who is I love it when the Doctor is clever and doesn't need to resort to violence. But a personal pet peeve of mine is just that people believe that the Doctor never uses guns. And that's yeah. totally not true. Like, you know, yeah. in, in the gunfighters, the first Doctor shoots somebody. It, you know, the, the sixth Doctor shoots Cybermen on the planet Telos. Like, the Doctor has used guns many times in his... In, in his thing, always as a last resort, always as a time, choosing a moment to, to, to escalate to, to that level. So it's weird to me like that the new series tries so hard to insist that the Doctor does. doesn't use violence. And it's like manipulating people, other people, to do your violence for you is no <laughs> yeah. better. Yeah. You know, like, you know. Yeah. It, no, well, it's, oh, go ahead, Adam. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's, it's a case where... It's it's I, I feel it's better when you have him occasionally do it because when he never ever ever has to use violence it's it's really it's kind of like the writers are protecting him to a degree it's like oh we're never going to create a situation where he needs to but when the show every now and then puts him in that position it makes the fact that he refuses to most of the time more powerful I think well and also kind of like Nick was saying when you see that he actually is capable of it that he that, that he that he that yeah it's it. It makes it that much more of a uh, of of a choice for him because he can use violence. Mm -hmm. He knows how to, and he just is you know when he chooses not to, it's a choice. But he but he still he still will use it. Um, and and yeah, I, I I kind of agree with you, Nick, that the that the whole having other people do violence for you in the new show, <laughs> it, it almost became like a it it be, it it became a thing unto itself that was. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I sure. agree well, with it was it was the it was the of course it was the season finale plot of the uh, one of the tenth Doctor seasons where they had Davros assemble all his allies, all the Doctor's allies, and he you know gloated about look look what you've done, you turned all these people into soldiers. But it's like I kind of think it's like okay, well the show set this situation up, and now they're talking about it, but they you know didn't really change anything right. it's, but, i don't know it's kind of a bad situation and I, I think there's an important lesson there right and that is that as as, as much as we don't want to believe it there are mm -hmm. some things that are solved through violence right and and yeah. i don't mean that that should be the way to solve a problem immediately um it would kind of be hard to solve the 
the, the world situation we had during World War II. Yeah. Without some violence, yeah. right? Like as as much as we might want to believe that all the sanctions in the world might have made people change their opinions or or like at at a certain point people were so cruel and deadly to one another that we had to turn to the, literally we ran out of resorts. We didn't know how to solve some of those things and some bad people don't respond to anything else, right? And that's not me yeah. arguing for war. That's the last thing I would argue for. I, I think that's the point of the doctor, right? Like, th we, we can't ignore whether the doctor influences somebody or whether the doctor takes arms up himself, mm -hmm. that sometimes you need to act against evil. And I think that's the important moral of the story in Doctor Who is that acting on evil needs to be accomplished by violent means, only as a last resort, right? The doctor mm -hmm. needs to try to outsmart people, needs to convince people to do the right thing, needs to try to act in a way that the solu a solution can be found that hurts the fewest number of people. But sometimes you can't do that, you know? So. Well, no, and I, and I think that's, again, that's one of the reasons why I, I said as an American, this was particularly interesting to me because I'm so I'm so I'm I'm pretty comfortable with shows using the violent resolution. You know, I I, I, I quite like it. Um, and so it was it was almost infuriating when I first saw it. And uh, but what I but I think the moments that really stand out for me are, are moments like in um, this past season when Capaldi you know flipped over the guy with that. Uh, what is it? The is it uh, Venetian Jiu-Jitsu? Is that the Venetian yeah. Aikido? Yeah. Okay, Aikido. Oh, Aikido. Aikido yeah. Sorry. Um, so he uses an Aikido move, which, you know, granted, Aikido is kind of grounded in pacifism. That's sort of the point of that martial art. But it was a very spectacular uh, move that I think I think they maybe have been staying away from too much because that I, I really I really like that moment. And it shows that he can do that stuff when he really needs to. Um, mm -hmm. So and he, and and it's really more about, you know, uh, moderation more than uh uh, you know, never, never engaging in that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so, so I, I would, I would, I would agree with you. I think it's just a broader political point. I think, yeah, you know, you, sometimes you need to, you need to, you need to take action against, against something. You can't, you can't always just, you know, be in a, a state of pacifism the whole time. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I, uh, um, well, and, and honestly, that is probably the biggest lead-in to what happens in the very next episode, which is Genesis of the Daleks, right? And yeah. while we've, all, we've already reviewed it, these yeah. are exactly the issues that come up in that story, right? So, Well, in yeah. a way, it would have probably been better if we had done it chronologically for that reason. I I'm now starting to see, like, oh, there is a theme emerging. In the, uh, <laughs> um, but, but it's been out of order, so... Uh, but, uh, but, and yeah. I'm sure, Nick, you've, you've probably... You know, I, I think you've... you've, you've uh, you've probably seen these episodes multiple times. So you have a, a, a better sense of that, but, but yeah, it definitely looks like there's a connection there. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, I don't it's know. It's kind of a shame because no other, no other, no other, you know, Baker season is this, you know, connected like this, you know, as far as uh, a straight season. Well, I mean, there are, but not, well, not a, uh, what's the, what's the finale of this season? What's the last storyline in this season? Drawing a blank on that. Let's see. Is it uh, Revenge of the Cybermen? I think it is. Let me just double check. We definitely want to see that next, then, because that's the. Um... 
So if that's a theme, is this is this season sort of asking that question and answering it? Is that? Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know if I would say that that's the theme of the season, but um, I, I think Revenge of the Cybermen is the last story of this season. And then after Revenge of the Cybermen comes Terror of the Zygons, which is the first story of the 13th season. Okay. So we're, we're almost through this season, I guess. But yeah. um, I'd say I'd say to a degree, honestly, Terror of the Zygons, if this were if this were a new who season, Terror of the Zygons feels more like the season finale of this uh, of this of the season you know even though it is the, the first one of the next season i'd say like just for, if you're watching them all in order without any regard to the seasons it, uh, it, it feels like the conclusion of a story there i like the way but, the cybermen um, look in this one um i'm seeing i'm looking at a picture of the cybermen for the next episode uh-huh. and that 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 looks pretty I cool i don't remember avenger the cybermen that well so i'm looking forward to seeing this again uh, and, and it's interesting because if you think about the last three stories that we're looking at, so to, we're, we just covered uh, Revenge, or I'm sorry, the Santaran Experiment, which is a story about Santarans trying to decide if there's a war. And then the story after that is Genesis of the Daleks, which pop people right down in the middle of a war. Mm-hmm. And then Revenge of the Cybermen is the next story after Genesis of the Daleks. And that's actually a story which takes place after a war, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. the Cybermen are kind of back for a little bit of revenge of people who helped support the war on the other side. So, kind of an interesting. I, I have never thought of it that way, but those three stories do have sort of a before, during, and after a war theme to them. Yeah, I guess we'll keep an eye out for it when we get to those uh, those storylines. Yep. Um, yeah, well, that's it. I mean, Revenge of the Cybermen is the next one, and then we're done with with this uh, this series. But uh, oh. yeah, I'm looking uh, forward to that one. Um, but again, I do think the the fact that he's capable of doing this stuff makes the decision not to do it more impactful when he does. And so it's kind of like yeah. like you know, in, and this is totally off of Doctor Who, but in the Star Wars movies, in the prequels, a lot of people weren't happy that they had Yoda. Uh, flipping around with the lightsaber and killing people. But one of the things I liked about that was it kind of made his decision to be more, more hermetic in the, in the original yeah. trilogy feel like an actual choice rather than what he kind of had to do because he's a weak little Yoda creature and he doesn't have, you know, um, <laughs> you know, any, any abilities to, or no, he, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be a physical match for maybe, you know, another Jedi. So I like that they, they showed he's no, he's just as good with a lightsaber, but he's kind of put his lightsaber down. It's, uh, um yeah it's a it's a it's I mean, you know people always go oh but he has the line about you know the wars make one great but it's like that doesn't that doesn't suggest he's never done anything like that that you know suggests he's not in favor of wars but it doesn't well, it, it, if I, anything it could potentially suggest the opposite well also would you ever <laughs> trust a jedi who never fought anybody do you know what I mean like it, yeah it's true <laughs> yeah this is a perfect he's technique. just been evading conflict and fights this whole time, you know just you know dispensing sage advice to get out of conflict with people I, I i clearly like my viewpoint on this particular issue is that clearly yoda had to have been involved in, in conflict and combat 
I really wish Yoda would have been using more force stuff, throwing people around and pushing mm-hmm. things. Hmm. The, the the bouncing ball Yoda was a little bit much for me, is all I'm going to say. Yeah, well, I wasn't you know, crazy I, about I, that stuff. I have effect. no problem with Yoda having a lightsaber and fighting and, like, whatever. The fact that he was kind of like a super ball thrown in a... <laughs> In, in the corner of like a closet i had a little trouble with that I feel, yeah, sometimes i, I feel like the, i'm uh, on my own little island with my my enjoyment of that scene no <laughs> many many people agree with you nick um <laughs> that doesn't I, mean i'm right well, so, you, like, well no well you know i'll tell you what i liked about the bouncing ball yoda which i can totally see why you didn't like <laughs> but the reason why i liked it is i felt like Hmm, if I'm going to have Yoda using a lightsaber and fighting with somebody, how am I going to do that? That's really difficult to... I can't picture the Yoda from from Empire Strikes Back going around with a lightsaber and cutting people up. But when they did it as the flipping ball, I could see, okay, he's sort of using his small size to... It sort of made sense in a weird way. I, I But I can also see how that would be a turnoff for people. Um, right. But I have to admit, well, I liked the bouncing ball Yoda. I was a fan of that one. Like I said, it was a little bit much for me, but I, I dude, if a dude's slicing at your ankles all day long and you've never practiced blocking shots at your ankles, that can be just as effective. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's Maybe that's point. cool on screen. I'm just saying, like, okay. But but <laughs> but I think that but for me, the broader point with the Yoda thing is really just the the fact that they established that yes, he can fight, and I think that's. I, I just have a I have a much easier time uh, with a character who's a pacifist who's meant to be like some kind you know who, who's meant to be experienced in the way the doctor is or the way Yoda is uh, if they've also got a history where they they at least with with the their feelings about about why violence might not all be always be the best choice is at least rooted in some experience with it and not just a vague sense that yeah don't like it do well and, and it, that goes back to what we talked about just a little while ago about being unable to avoid violence here's yoda face to face with a jedi who's gone dark who says i'm not gonna change my ways hmm. i'm gonna try to like you know turn all these people to evil and i'm gonna follow this other sith lord and how do you stop that guy well guess what violence is your answer right you know yeah. not the answer whether it's the doctor or a Jedi that you want, but and to, you know, to you jump there. Sometimes yeah. you need to be a bouncing ball, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but to jump movie franchises again, Brendan and I recently did a series of podcasts for the Karate Kid series, and there's another figure who keeps telling him you shouldn't, you know, you know, karate's not about being violent and stuff. And it's like you find out with him, oh, he's a decorated World War II soldier. It's like uh-huh. he's he's not he's not just being a wimp about it. He he's uh-huh. you know, he's killed people. <laughs> yeah. So though I saw an interesting I don't know where I saw that there was an interesting theory on YouTube or somewhere where uh where somebody is talking about how Mr. Miyagi is a fraud if you if you if you follow the logic <laughs> Of of the of the different uh, Karate Kid movies, he couldn't have possibly uh-huh. been in World War Two, and he's just scamming Daniel. And I, I, I wish I, I could remember where I saw it. It's total. I don't think it's 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 at all an accurate assessment. He was, he was of the just movie, scamming him to get money for his bonsai store. That was. The I, I don't remember the what the argument was, but it was it was an interesting. He takes like a basically a plot hole that emerges in the second movie and uses it to say, therefore, Mr. Miyagi never served in World War Two. Um, yeah. there's, there's, he says something in 
part two that contradicts some of the established stuff. There, there's definitely canon issues yeah. in that series. There's no question. But uh, <laughs> I tend to defer to the first one as the as the truest source, though. So you know, like, yeah, I would by agree. relying on I would relying on the second one as being the true account, and the first one being the lie, it's like no, nah, can't go with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would definitely agree. Um. But yeah, so we're coming up on the 45-minute mark. But Nick, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your book again because I know that that is coming out oh. this month, right? And I... it, it is, and uh, still very excited about it. Um, the book that, thank you for giving me that moment here, but the, the book is Red, White, and Who, uh, the story of Doctor Who in America. And it comes out on August 21st. And what it is is it's a book that uh, kind of covers... American Doctor Who fandom, and not just fandom, but uh, the presentation of the show, it being aired across the United States. It covers everything from fandom to DVD and video releases, comic books, books, original Doctor Who fiction that was released in the United States. Um, it covers fan videos, um, conventions, uh, the Doctor Who tour that happened in America in 1986 and 87 when the BBC brought a big trailer of props over to the USA and kind of uh, showed it off as a thank you to fans in the U.S. when the popularity had kind of soared here. Um, it, it includes New Who as well as uh, classic Doctor Who, which we're reviewing here on this podcast. And so I think there's something for everyone in there. It's actually a, a really comprehensive book. It's uh, 700 pages, uh, over 600 photographs, um and, and images uh that's in it and it's it's pretty cool it, we took eight years nine years to write the book oh, wow. so it's not a small endeavor so okay, it's, so it's you've uh, been really <laughs> involved in this for a while now for the um uh the book writing process uh yeah i was uh i was not one of the original authors actually there was a, a team of about four people mm -hmm. um, which included arnold t bloomberg who was our eventual publisher, so he stuck with the book the whole time. Sean Lyon, uh, who people know as being part of the Gallifrey One conventions in Los Angeles, was another primary writer, but got busy with other projects, and he had to drop out. And so myself, uh, Rob Warnock, and Jan Fennick uh, were brought in later to help with the book. Um, we were always a part of the book in a sense, that we were being used for information and stuff like that, but eventually got moved into the primary team of writers. Uh, where we wrote sections of the book and then helped edit it and things like that. So, okay. um, but it's it's a really great book. I actually uh, we saw printer proofs came back just this past week, and it looks great. I mean, like just um, it, it looks awesome. If if you pre-order the book before uh, the twenty first of August uh, in the U.S., you get free shipping, and so. Uh, the book itself is forty nine ninety five. Worth it for that size of book and yeah. uh, for the endeavor it is. Um, but obviously, shipping on a book that size probably <laughs> comes in at like eleven or twelve bucks. Yeah. So it's worth it to pre order it before yeah. before the twenty first. Will it be on Amazon, or is it going to be? You have to order it from the website that it, uh, the publisher website. Yeah, you order it from the publisher website at atbpublishing.com. Uh, dot com. And that's mm -hmm. primarily where it's going to be. I do imagine that it will eventually go to Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, but right now, um, the way they have it set up is, you know, they're trying to launch from the publisher site. 
initially. So okay, we'll put a link in. Remind me if it's not up because I am okay. Sure, yeah. I'll put a link in at Let, the bottom. And I appreciate that. you giving me the opportunity to talk about it because uh, it's a pretty big and exciting project, and I'm I'm very proud to have been a part of it. Um, and it's one of those things. It's one of those books that no matter where Doctor Who goes from here, I believe this will be the definitive book on Doctor Who in the USA. Everybody else will build off this from this point forward, you know, so. No, I'm looking forward to it because there's a lot of stuff, like I was saying the last time we spoke about it, a lot of stuff I want to kind of know about that. And I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 it's definitely, uh, it looks like it's going to be a fun read from what you've told me, so. It is, and there's some fun and, and crazy stories in there that I think are pretty cool you know just we we had fans from all over the country who sent in stories obviously we can't include everything but as there were interesting stories and you guys might remember this but like back in like 1986 there was a a, 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 you know america was doing the the hands across america i don't know if you guys remember that i do remember that I yeah, don't really remember the pro- point of it, to be honest. Right. I think <laughs> I it was to, to raise awareness about uh, uh, wealth inequality and, and need for food in the country. People, I think, grabbed, held hands from one coast to another. And it just so happened that on the day that that was happening in the USA, the Hands Across America line went right in front of a Doctor Who convention. And so the... This, Colin Baker, who was the sixth doctor, as well as the other attendees of the convention, went outside and joined the line of Hands Across America, which is kind of like a, a neat, you know, charity effort, but in a, to me, a very doctorly thing to do, right? Like to, 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 whether it's to use your fame or, you know, to do whatever, to try to help a cause that's clearly a good one. So I, I think that's kind of a cool story to talk about, you know, um, and there's a lot of, anecdotes and, and cool stories like that uh from all over the f- different 50 states in the u.s and how everybody was involved and kind of what it is so yeah i have to say yeah, the have colin to say- baker ones i'm actually i'm really looking forward to, to to getting to those those are ones that i've uh i uh, i know they're they're a ways away for us if we go chronologically but mm-hmm. uh but uh, and i know that there's a lot of uh uh, uh apparently a lot of people are not is happy with the stories from that period but but i'm very interested in that particular doctor so um, yeah he's um, actually my favorite doctor and i i really like those stories but that was the heyday of my youth doctor who enthusiasm so well, well maybe i don't know we'll talk about it maybe we'll skip ahead Which, to colin baker after this who know you know we'll, we'll, we'll uh it, it depends on how long it takes us i suppose to get through the tom baker uh sure uh, he's got the most hours though i think as the doctor oh. right so um, yeah, Tom yeah, he does. does. But, so, uh... You know, of course, sometimes that youthful enthusiasm doesn't go away, and then you have to write a book, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so all right, so so everybody should go and check out Nick's book. Um, and uh, this, uh, I should say, this Friday, uh, I'm going to be on doing a discussion about Lady with White Hair. Uh, I know that me and Lady Chow Fung will be there, and Kenny is going to be there. We may have some others join us, but I'm I'm, I'm not absolutely certain at this point i'm gonna try and and be there okay so adam adam will try to be there and (laughs) and me and kenny are gonna also i'm trying to incorporate more wuxia novels into the podcast because i want people to kind of get exposed to them so kenny and i are reading the uh the the legend of the white-haired demoness the book that the um uh uh uh, bride with white hair is based on and we're, we're gonna be doing a podcast on that in a couple of weeks and and so um 
so you know we, we have some other things coming down the line and i know me and me and adam have some torchwood episodes to get to and that's uh, correct um and sadly the this season of of new who is over so we won't be doing new who until the uh the, the christmas special unless we go back and do some 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 classic that could episodes. be interesting yeah yeah um, but um but okay so we will uh we're gonna depart and we will talk to you later